And here we are. We're back again. WH. Yes. For a new uh, Disney show. He says, having get into his best radio voice that he possibly could do. But yeah, we've got a new Disney. We've got a new Star Wars show mm. to go into. Andor, mate. And it's fucking brilliant. I think um, that's the, the, the launch of it. Yeah, I, I wasn't too sure how I would feel about this show. But watching, like, so they released the first three episodes all at once. I binged mm. those. And I was just like, but I, I also read before I started watching them because it was like a couple of days after they released them that, oh, it's it's slow. It's slow. I'm like, OK, I'm a little worried about that. But then I'm like, I I, I guess it's slow if you just like, you know, like action movies or something like that, which is. Mm. But I like I like my, you know, like my well-written, well-paced dramas. And that's what this is. And I I love this show. Like, you know, we're oh, yeah. into five episodes. We're going to talk about the first five because we we haven't been able to talk since until up until now. So um I I am so excited about this show now. Like yeah, I think it might be it might be surpassing the Mandalorian as my as my favorite mm. thing on from Star Wars after post launch of Disney Plus. But I'm gonna I'm gonna reserve the final judgment until all the episodes like the series is is done like yeah. this season at least. Yeah. I'm kind of I, I think with this i think the potential especially because the, the announcement of a season two of uh of andor the potential of this like how the rebel alliance kind of working together and i still haven't watched star wars rebels yet yeah. which now makes me even more annoyed because that's that's happening around this time period as well is that right it would be it would be after it'd um, be after this it'd be after because that that basically that's four seasons and mm. it's each season follows like like pretty much a year mm. right uh it, it covers a year uh so season one is the first year of like the team of the this this the ship the ghost that's yeah. the, a particular rebel cell with um with with um kanan and and uh and oh god i'm having a brain fart ezra bridger and all these other characters who who's probably going to be a character on the Ahsoka TV show when that comes out. Um, so it, it, it behooves you actually to watch Rebels mm. before the Ahsoka show comes out. I'm just going to really, say that. It yeah. forces that. And that might be something I might be, uh, I, I think I'll happily do it. With Honestly, this. Rebels is one of the best things mm. ever to be produced by in Star Wars canon. And it's largely because like, you know, like Dave Filoni is involved with that, but also, um, who's the screenwriter of like some of the x-men movies he uh, what's his name uh he 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 was involved in there let me let me look him up uh star wars rebels but yeah that that's like i think dave filoni's um you know like magnum opus of you know st of talking about star wars uh is is rebels and it's four seasons and like season one is just kind of mission of the week mostly but when you get into season two, oh my god, it just takes off like unbelievable how good it is. I'm trying to find where the uh, the the writers are. Hold on a second. I think that's a familiar thing they do. That I mean, they did doing that with Rebels and doing it with like Clone Wars is to do, do the mission of the week stuff in order to kind of do the easy introduction. Yeah. To the 
to the characters and then sort of build the story on from season two. Yes. Uh, let me just see here. Uh, the seasons episode. Oh, I'm, I'm going to kick Simon Kinberg. Is, ah, is, yes. He, he is, was heavily involved with this show. And I think like him between him and, and, and Dave Filoni being in charge of it, it, it really lends itself to the quality of how, like, and how much it fits in with, you know, like, Star Wars canon with adding to it, but not, you know, invalidating other things, which I think mm. is the, the gift of Dave Filoni being such, you know, um, and you see that obviously with him being involved heavily with the Mandalorian with John Favreau, how that adds to the canon without invalidating other things. So um, this, so, but you know, they're not involved with Andor, but Andor I feel is, is on a same quality. And, and primarily that's because of the showrunner, uh, the guy who created the show, which is, uh, you know, Tony Gilroy. I, if you're not familiar with him, he wrote pretty much all the Bourne movies. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he also wrote and directed the the Born Legacy, which is the one with um, uh, Jeremy, uh, Renner, Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner, which is a really good film. But he also wrote, wrote and directed the the excellent lawyer drama Michael Clayton. Yeah. He is he is an exceptionally talented writer, Tony Gilroy. Now, for, of course, he he did the script rewrites for for Rogue One. That's his connection to to this character of Cassian Andor. Um, and so there is a level of of writing on this that I feel is similar to anything you would see on HBO just without sex or swearing. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That kind of hits it. It's the nail on the head. It, it's like in terms of the tone and the themes, I mean, my I got good vibes from when I saw that it was going to be a 12 because I thought, oh, okay, it's something that I've long bemoaned. Uh, at this point is with the amount of content that is out there, particularly on Disney plus with, from marvel and from star wars it's just that idea of you can afford to take stuff in a slightly different direction and i only only kind of dawned on me today when watching this it was like we're watching all of the characters in the background in that very first star wars film on like tatooine we're seeing those type of people yeah day-to-day lives coming to life and there is something incredible about that and you mentioned like it's it's a really fascinating thing about tony gilroy because he kind of has to a certain degree more of a blank blank canvas to play with in terms of like canon like i think in a, in a lot of ways he has less complications i think with this story which kind of is a thing that i think is quite nice um but for those listening i should um do like the the kind of briefest of just um like saying what what the show is in case yes. you're not aware of it it is a prequel to the events of rogue one which we've spoken about we've many times have said like absolutely it's it what's almost incredible is how through the like kind of Harry production process, how it turned out so well, because that's normally a recipe for disaster and somehow it ended up doing so well. And it follows uh, Cassian Andor uh, played by Diego Luna um, back here again. Um, And it's about really telling the story of how he ends up in the point where he is like, kind of like almost the poster boy for the rebellion. Um, How does he end up in that situation? But it kind of does that through telling um, story. The story is kind of interesting through a sort of slightly socio-political lens as well. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing the empire, but on a much lower level, a lot of lower level corruption in there. And it's effectively where we are um, 
you know, we're going to go through kind of the episodes in, in rather more broad strokes in future weeks. We're going to go sort of in depth because next week's going to be a big episode with the heist. Don't worry. We'll explain how we come, come to that. Um, but one of the things, um, you know, I mean, seeing is, is how he enters into the rebel Alliance, how the rebel Alliance itself is, is kind of almost like coming to be founded. You know, there's a there's a great kind of throwaway line. I think is when Mon Mothra and, uh, and her husband are talking as well. So there's lots of different sort of social dynamics going on. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, fascinating. Should we go into what we think about the the first five episodes overall, and go through some bits of the what we think are the best bits of the first five episodes? How, how does sure. I think just for the sake of time, that might be it, yeah. and then just talk about whatever topics that come in along those lines but yeah you wanted to say is i mean one of the things i do have to know as well i looked up in it my first comment is when you said to me oh andor's great and i think i came back it's like there's a lot of brits and then i looked into it and that kind of makes sense because it was all filmed a lot of it was filmed at pinewood studios yeah and all various parts of the uk so it went to wales scotland i think is where some of like that's aldani i think that's where aldani is filmed the yeah stuff, like where the heist is going to happen because like like with one of the characters, yeah. uh, Val, she just keeps on going. You know, she explains the planet to to to, to Cassian, and she's like, "The Highlands, the Lowlands, the Highlands." And I'm like, yeah. she's saying the Highlands, and I'm just like, that looks like fucking Highlander, you know, yeah. or every other fucking movie, like you know, or the like, end of Skyfall, yeah, Skyfall, yeah. or or like fucking Rob War- Royer, some or something like that, right? So oh, yeah. it's 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 like that's my image of like Scotland, like those hills. Like when not you know anything that's not like train spotting is like okay that's that's solid <laughs> yeah. right so um, a bit where they I go out like, to on the train great. I love location filming like mm. like I I think it's great that they went on location instead of just depending on like using the volume which is like the technology they use in pretty much every other Star Wars show when they go on location I think it's great when you use real life locations to act as alien planets in Star Wars I think it's mm. it's one of my favorite things what they do. Um, but yeah, it's it's so good. It's like I think this cast, by the way, top from from your biggest stars to yeah. like the most bit players that who have very little lines are, are just brilliantly cast. Just mm-hmm. amazing. But that's what you I feel that's what you get when you when you cast primarily like UK actors and yeah. people from Europe. Not nothing against American actors, of course. I love American actors, but and Canadian actors, but there's there's a certain like I don't know, cachet you get with with like you know, your European UK actors, I feel, especially when it's mixed, like it's not just British actors. It's also, you have Irish actors and you have Scottish actors and yeah. it's, it's fucking great. I think there's a thing I was thinking about this today and it, and it comes back to it being sort of like filmed in the UK. Now it's not filmed in Elstree, but it's filmed in Pinewood. And I think you can really tell because the sets um, in, in particular, like feel very kind of, real life like there's been that kind of effort that's gone into it and uh and a few great scenes with with that as well but there is something about like it links back to that original star wars so much of it being filmed in the uk yeah and they've used the locations really well like i mean they found those kind of there are those you know scotland is kind of perfect for like what they want from aldani um as a as a location but i think there's it's also the use of special effects where like you mentioned about not using the volume, a lot of the special effects are quite understated. And I like that. They're there more to, it feels like effects that are there to kind of service the story rather than effects for effects sake, which 
Yeah, I think with like the the biggest probably use of I don't know if they've imp- exported the volume to like Pinewood Studios if they mm-hmm. or if it just exists only in the California studios. But like obviously like a lot of the space like the stuff with when we when we get to Luthen Rail and he's mm-hmm. piloting his un- and by the way that ship I've seen the clips from the trailers like like we haven't seen the full capabilities of this fucking ship and one thing i love about stores is if like if a certain character has a cool ship yeah. like i will latch onto the character and, and I will, i'm just gonna say right now luthan rail is a breakout new favorite character of mine so um but with uh the in the first episode when we when we get to um the mm. corporate planet moreland one that looks like it's on set right let's look yeah. like it's, it's definitely shot on set it's a cityscape it's a futuristic city set which is brilliant it looks like blade runner that's the aesthetic mm. I get is Blade Runner, but also like interior scenes remind me of like seventies science fiction films, yeah. you know, like the kind like especially like especially they going back to like the roots with George Lucas, like there like there are scenes in white white rooms, right, that mm. look like THX one one three eight, and if you've never seen that, it's a really fascinating film that you think about the guy who made the Phantom Menace, which is shit, by the way, <laughs> made this really interesting art art film called THX one one three eight, you know. About is it, is it and it was remade with Michael B. Jordan, was it, or something? Was it? Well. I didn't know From that. HBO. I never watched it. The fact the fact that you haven't heard of it would also suggest that it wasn't very good. Especially like, if it was, like if it was a big good, star. you would have known. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It feels like uh, like why have you done this? It's you know, they kind of lose the complete message. But I'm in agreement with you. I, I kept on thinking like the set design was very Kubrickian. Like even yes. going into it, and it leads nicely us sort of talking into it. We'll get into various stuff as we're kind of doing kind of quick parts. But I think that opening kind of completely took you to the place where you thought, oh, I'm interested where it's going to go. Because it involves him going to a brothel, walks into a bar, which has... Um, you know, just in terms of the layout, the fact that the costumes feel very 70s as well. So it, it has that, like, kind of close link to Star Wars as, as well in there, which there are plenty of British actors, character actors sort of knocking around the place that you can have them uh, grow a pair of sideburns and the rest of it. Um, but it, you've got, like, this kind of setting for it, and it's like, oh, okay, this feels, like, very, very adult. Like, you've got, like, the fact that the whole plot for him is kind of kick-started by he has a sh- he has a fortunate interaction with these two guards which forces him to kind of go on a run after he kills both of them the first one i think is of a rebound isn't it off the um off the gun and the second one he shoots point blank in the head so immediately you're kind of set up as like oh okay like push this character to to some places he's going to do some quite dark things and i think that's the like that completely set the tone for me. And I was like kind of with it all the way. Like you mentioned about the aesthetic, it's like Blade Runner. I was also kind of reminded by how Dennis Villeneuve film, like kind of the exterior kind of reminded me of Giddy Prime, like a oh. much nicer version, but it had that kind of slight vibe to it. Like LA 2019. And the, the kind of- I I also think with those, that character, the, the, the Primor, what they call the Primor corporation, right? I yeah. think that's the name and the, with, with these security um, forces that, that play an integral part in the first three episodes. It's, it's very mm-hmm. much, um, I think, a critique of uh, police brutality. Yeah. Um, and how people, I think, I think the whole third episode is like basically black lives matter yeah. uh, movement, you know, like that's 
come 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 to life on screen like this in, in a Star Wars setting, which I think is fascinating that Tony Gilroy is mm. putting so much socio-political comment in here, but people are probably not getting it because he's not saying that these are cops. He's like saying, oh, they're security, corporate security agents, but it's just, you know, it's just a, you know, like saying that, like them being the substitutes for police officers is a socio-political statement in of itself, I feel yeah. as well. But the, the writing on this and the use of Star Wars as a sci-fi show to make socio-political comment about the, the world we currently live in is, mm. Is amazing, and it it takes me back to Revenge of the Sith because George George Lucas, he said like when when you know like the great line that you know um, Natalie Portman has in that film, this is how liberty dies to you know, like to cheers. It's like it's very much at the same time as like mm. the Gulf, like George W. Bush wants to go to the Gulf War, you know, reignite the Gulf War over weapons of mass destruction stuff like that. And he's and he made it. He he said that this is very similar to I think like what Tony Gilroy is doing is, is something similar where it's like, he's commenting on America today and like Trumpian politics and the, the, the fucking mess that, that exists in the world in particularly in America, I feel. And especially with police states and, and the abuse of police states that, that um, we saw basically from 2016 to 2020, like come out to the forefront and then how people were not going to really accept it anymore. So that's what mm. I feel like the a large part of the this the first arc of the first three episodes was about. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it it, it kind of play. You could see that there. I think there's also with the supervisor Miro character as well from like a, a different perspective. You're getting the idea of a woman up against effectively like a very sort of patriarchal um organization where she's outranked by men who kind of don't think nearly as um as well of her i think that's a kind of fascinating uh dynamic but you could with the with the um with like their kind of over cruelty as well and the fact that it's that they're overly militarized so when a character gets shot it's because the you know they don't know how to use these guns and things properly they're not actually properly trained they've just been given this kind of wealth of uh wealth of kind of power here um yeah so you know they're they're fascinatingly introduced i mean i don't know what you make of the character of um i'm just trying to think of his name now we have a uh, karn that's it yes who is set up as a kind of he's not really the nemesis i can see how he's going to work his way back in Gee, when i first saw him i thought is that kyle mclaughlin from the 80s <laughs> he looks like kyle mclaughlin from the 80s <laughs> Yeah, the actor. I think his name is Kyle, what Kyle Soller. I think so that's the name of the the actor. Where's my list of Kyle Soller is uh, Cyril Karn, um, which which sounds like a, definitely like a bad guy's name. By the way, Cyril Karn, one of the few Americans in the show. Yeah, as well, he's he's great. I, I think the character is so fascinating because he's just so by the book, and it just mm. bites like it just it him being so by the book and being so determined to do what he feels is right even though like in any like in any other like cop movie he'd be mm. the good guy right because he's like you know yeah. like, i i want you to forget this what happened to these your co colleagues we don't we don't want to you know upset the the apple cart here because that's what his 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 supervisor tells him and and he's like no i gotta solve these murders and like this justice is not being done but this is like what ultimately leads to his downfall Right, because like his supervisor has right, these two gone too 
a fight with probably shaking someone down that they shouldn't have and they paid the price for it. That's what he sees it as, uh, as well as like, you know, being the, you know, like, like, I just don't want to deal with the headache that's going to come if we actually try to investigate this, which is what he's right. Ultimately, what happens is the empire will take over the, you know, and take power away from the the, the corporation and by by extension, the, the security forces mm. on, on these planets. So, uh, it's 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 really fascinating. By the way, he that that supervisor he's played by da, 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 uh, Rupert Vansittart. Uh, he plays Chief Hine. He is my, our first alumni from Game of Thrones. On, yes, on the show, he plays the I forget his the character like something Royce. I feel, I feel, and he's like the the leader of the the Knights of the Vale. I was going to say, Geary. Knights of the Vale who turn up the famously the Battle of the Bastards. Battle of the Bastards, yes. Yeah. So he's, he's, he and doesn't defend uh, Littlefinger uh, at the, you know, when he's put on trial by, by the Starks. And, uh, it, it, but he's, he's one of our, our first. We'll get to another uh, GOT oh. alumni, uh, two, two more at, at the very least. Oh, yeah. Coming up. So we have, and, and a Chernobyl. Uh, so, someone from that Andy Stenders as well, the same person from that we have in the um, the other Primor person. It wouldn't surprise you to know that the uh, the actor you just the actor you just mentioned he is like kind of a regular on like if there's going to be like kind of various limited dramas and you're looking for a kind of stuffy older guy to play like a kind of quite wealthy Tory type character, he is perfect for that as well. He is he has done that role to death. Not hey, if you, I think everyone who's an actor is like, hey, the best part, the best thing you can do as an actor is get steady work. So, yeah, doesn't matter where it is. If it's on, if it's like doing being a character actor, you go for it. It's like, hey, I'm making I'm still making I'm making a living. See, it's my full time job being an actor. That's that's the dream. So it's, and it, you know, while we're, you know, it's it is one of the good things about this. You mentioned about like the quality levels of the acting like early on at the start is like very good. And it's the, it's the thing that helps you kind of puts you very much into the location because we do, I don't know. I mean, like we see Fiona Shaw as Marva, um, as Marva, who is Cassian's mother, but we sort of will come on to that in episode two. Like the first episode is, is like kind of very much, you know, on more, um, We've got him trying to, he's going to see his other friend from the Canary. It's like we have the, the sort of flashbacks to this other world of where he's from, where he's known yeah. as Casa. He's got his sister, Kerry, in there. And it kind of like hints to what is going to end up happening, kind of changing his future with a crashed ship kind of landing as well. So, so I mean, how do you think it's married this kind of Canary storyline in here with, with Casa? I, I thought it was... Because it's supposed to be his origin story and how he joins, yeah. he ultimately joins the rebellion. Um, mm. It's five years before the events of Rogue One, so it's it's actually I I would I I was surprised at how small the gap is between him just being kind of this kind of like you know thief kind of mm. like con man kind of almost on uh, Ferrix the planet he's on is Ferrix yeah. and 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 to him becoming like a top intelligence officer in the Rebel Alliance. Um, it's, I thought, wow, that's a short period of time that, that goes from there, but he's at, he's on, he's at that brothel because he's looking for a sister mm. who he lost contact with because of what happens by what we learn happens at the end of episode three, which we'll get to, 
but I, I was a little confused by like the, the flashbacks. And I ultimately, I know like, okay, that's him as a kid, but how does that relate to what's happening and what's the situation? Cause like, there's no subtitles when they're on Canary, they're not speaking English. There's no subtitles. Um, you have very speak- Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah, for sure. Cause it's Lord mainly kids. It's Lord mainly teenagers and yeah. kids. And, and you're like thinking, what's the deal here? And then you learn later on, okay, there it's, this planet's been devastated by a mining accident caused by the empire and just abandoned by the empire. And these kids are the only, like, it seems like kids are the only survivors and they're fending for themselves. And so we get this, the, the it starts off the Canary subplot, this, uh, the B story of Canary, the flashback is these kids going into the jungle from their camp to investigate the crash landing of a starship and mm-hmm. see. And so we don't, that's kind of it. And like, we see him exploring the planet as a child. And like, we obviously see the, the, how important his bond to his younger sister is. And that's what drives him even as an adult in, in the, a storyline is like him going to the, the, the pre-Morland planet is into the brothels to look for a sister because he heard there was a female from Canary there. Mm. So and that's, I feel that's a, a, a subplot we're going to get back to once he's fully into the the rebellion maybe using his resources and the rebellion to try to find his sisters i think that that quest is going to be continuing um but it's not until the third episode till the end of the third episode you see oh this is why they ran these parallel stories because they dovetail to match each other of what's happening to him in both in the past of him as a teenager and him as an adult now is like because you have the character of Marva being contrast, being uh, linked to like th- thematically to Luthen Rail, played by Stellan Skarsgård, right? So I thought that I, I loved it. I thought that was brilliant, and the way they cut back and forth, okay, and the the way they timed it, okay. Th- oh, I get it. This is the pivotal moments of him, his life being changed, whether it's for a good reason or not. But there's there's um, a lot of parallels to his life changing from going from being Casa to, you know, on Canary to becoming Cassian Endor to, and then Cassian Endor, the, 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 the small time, uh, you know, criminal mm. um, to becoming event to now going on to the next phase of his life, which is to become a member of uh, what will become the rebel Alliance. Mm. Who actually fun. I mean, and then linking into rogue one, the, the guy who without, they don't manage to destroy the death star kind of like knowing that the kind of the impact that this character will have, but you can, you can kind of tell these along the way. I mean, just to mention about, about Luthen, right? Like you mentioned about him being like one of your, one of your favorite characters. I think as soon as you cast Stellan Skarsgård, I think then you kind of have me like there, there was something oh, yeah. about he's that so, man. He's so amazing. Like he's one <sighs> of those actors. He's like, I've seen it. What's he been in? And then it's like, he, of course, recently it's like, okay, he's in, he's, Baron Harkonnen and he's he was in Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and you know like he's Eric Solveig in, in the Mar- Marvel Universe but if you look back at his career it's like it's unbelievable oh my god he's been in so many things that you never th- thought oh that's him he's in that of course he's his whole thing with like his whole you know association with Lars von Trier is is yeah. amazing like you know Breaking the Waves such I think such a great performance from him and yeah he's, he's and he's he, he's one of those actors like if if I wanted to be an actor, I'd, I don't I don't necessarily want to have the career of like a Robert Downey Jr. Or I like to have the career of like Stellan Skarsgård or yeah. a Harvey Keitel 
or something like that. You know, he's always he's like in his 70s. He's still getting work. He's he's yeah. never been unemployed, I think. So <laughs> that's a great that's a great feeling to have, I think, as an actor. He's he carries gravitas. Like, I think if you're doing like kind of this kind of form of TV, because I think that's one of the things that helped with like Chernobyl is like but putting him in as the uh, sort of Russian deputy prime minister like phenomenal and uh, you know should mention as well that one of the miners from there appears as uh, um the uh, the friend of one of the pre-war detectives it was uh, uh what's his name on here Loomis oh I can't think of it I had it on here a second ago but he's like the big lad from that who's who plays I always mention this on grapple uh Trevor from EastEnders, who was famously a horrific act of domestic violence on Christmas Day. That's oh, is this uh, Alex Ferns? Just... Alex Ferns, that's right. it. Linus, like the the the, the super gung ho, uh, yes, uh, cop uh, that ultra that we... keen pre war yeah. type, who also played. He was in the Batman film recently. So, like, if there's any big budget work going on in the UK, that black guy, he was getting, he got killed by the Batman. He plays like the police chief. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Killed kill by the Riddler. So, you know, he's getting good work, put it that way. So I was happy, happy for that in there. But, you know, you mentioned there about, like, the kind of um, Kassar storyline. We have how Luthan Rail works in is, I think, the way that story is told because it manages to work in the kind of other characters. Um in there we have like for example i'm trying to think of his friend's name in there bix. um bix yeah yeah not not david bixon span by the way no that's immediately what i end up thinking there but it is it is a case where you know you see where she works is it no but is yeah you see where she works and the guy she has the relationship tim with, yeah tim yes the scottish guy in there right. as well who's not told to change his accent at all he's just like and that's the great thing about this and i think that's the the wonderful thing is everyone's kind of relaxed and comfortable in their accents so you haven't got people trying to kind of impersonate to be something that they're not i mean even the kind of one of the few cgi kind of creations is this kind of rough character who's going to beat up cassian he's like kind of voiced in a rather sort of grumpy british way but yeah, yeah that story I think has been, you know, it, it kind of interesting because it instigates the plot with Tim calling the primals to kind of grass Cassian up when yeah. he, he starts mentioning about um, the Gennari girl. But it's it's also one of the rarest things you see in there, like Star Wars hitting at sex and characters having relationships, yeah. things that you wouldn't see in like or being told in a very particular way. But we don't see that in Star Wars, the kind of like day-to-day life of them salvaging parts that's you know pretty much the trade of of ferrix that they're on and what did you think of the kind of like insight into that world and the way that that storyline kind of works its way through that gets luth and rail into the mix i think it's brilliant how you set up cassian like what his character through his mm. his, his his friends and acquaintances right mm. so you have the character of brasso who's going to be his alibi if people come calling right he's the yeah. guy, he works on the salvage line and he's like he doesn't have many lines but he's like you get okay he's going to do this for for cassian because yeah. cassian's important to him 
Bix has kind of, uh, uh, you know, they have him and Bix have like this, this, this scam going on where they're going to, you know, they like they, you know, they have quartermasters of ships like, OK, we're not this, we're, you guys got like, you know, a day to go through it before we tear it down. OK. And then they sell parts to and where she sells parts to, to uh, Luthen Rail. Um, and that's his connection to Cassian eventually. But we see they have kind of like a business relation, but they also friends. And she's he's important to her. She's important to him. And then through him, we through her, we get the character of Tim, who, you know, snitches on him to the cops, basically. Um, and then we also get the these these other characters, like this father and son character that that hide the um, that are hiding the, uh, the, the 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 radio that she uses to contact. I'm trying to find their names on the list here. Uh, there is a lot of characters. A lot of characters. Them. Yeah. Um, but there's a fa- there's a father and son character like and their casting is important to them. They try to help him out, mm-hmm. and so through his relationship with people on the planet of Ferrix, you you see like okay, you get a sense of his character without exposition. It's just it's, it's shown. It's not told to you. It's shown to you. Yeah. Like what his character is like, and I thought that was brilliant. And just again, like the level of writing and acting between everyone in these mm-hmm. scenes, and to see. an actor of the caliber of Diego Luna, who's a fantastic actor in everything he does. Even like something as terrible as Dirty Dirty Dancing, Havana Nights. Um, You know, he's he's great. He's in that. He's the lead. He's the male lead in that film. (laughs) He needed money. He was was, was the star of his career. That's right. It's like, oh, it's my break in America. You got to take it. But with that, you see like his like his scenes with with uh, Fiona Shaw, with Marfa, you know, Cassian and Marvel scenes together is great. His scenes with Bix are great. His scenes interacting with pretty much everyone are great. You just, and Diego Luna is just so brilliant in mm. this show because he plays Cassian for the complex character that you got the hint at in Rogue One. But now we're seeing it on full display. Like what makes this the makeup, the psychological makeup of this character? And that's the thing that makes it interesting because it is an original character for all intents and purposes. There's so much scope that that, that they can play with in terms of telling this, this backstory. I mean, talking about Luthan Rail, I mean, and again, this is going into another part of, um, like, particularly in the first three episodes, we see his, like, well, obviously we have his interactions in terms of, oh, I'd imagine it's like the big kind of action scene. Yeah. Of the first three episodes, which is he meets Cassie and Endor. They think Cassie and is going to be trading the part, but really what he's doing is he's trying to recruit him. Yes. We don't know what for. And it's a simple sequence because they're meeting in the kind of like old abandoned factory. We have the pre-more security arriving. They've sent over like 14 of them, but we've got above like an entire, um, like he's, he's rigged the door with explosives, Luthen, when the when the cop when the cops are coming to them, because that's effectively what they are. But above them, you have all of these massive, like kind of engine parts that are just dropping from the ceiling throughout as well, adding like a nice bit of tension. It, I thought it was very good because it wasn't like an overblown action scene. It wasn't like they had to fill a quota of having these many action scenes in in this. It's also like a metaphor, isn't it? All those falling parts machine parts falling down yeah. around him is like that's his life essentially at that moment now because this it's done on yeah. Ferrix. it's it's finished like he can't ever go back 
there for the most part. I, I think he will go back later in the series, but for now, like Frontes, it's it's he's done. I don't think we've seen the last of Bix and no, Barber. no. I think he's he's going back, but when he goes back, it's going to be as a member of the Rebel Alliance. Yeah. Um, Luthen Rail is from the moment we see him. First of all, he's 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 going to Ferrix in his uh, Fondor Hallcraft, which uh, by mm. by the sounds of it is is a, like a, a regular you know, cargo freighter of some kind, but he's modified it. And it's one of those really cool star Warships. Like it has a feel of, I don't know if you ever played the force awake, uh, the force unleashed video game with the character no. of, uh, of, um, of star killer in it, um, which is not canon anymore, but, but it has elements of uh, star killer starship, the, the rogue shadow. Um, it has the great element of a lot of Star Wars ships is that it's asymmetrical. So the cockpit is the cockpit is not in the center of the ship. It's off to the side, like the Millennium Falcon. Um, but um, this ship is going to surprise us later on, I think. But if if Luthen Rail has like this really cool starship, and I'm a sucker for a lot of characters have cool starships, Boba Fett with Slave One, um, Han Solo with the Millennium Falcon, and so forth and so on. So I think, but Luthen Rail automatically, as soon as he steps off that ship, it's like, okay, this guy's this guy's not to be trifled with, right? Yeah. And there are things I'm just gonna say it, JP. I think I think his backstory is that he was a Jedi, and he's in hiding right now and he doesn't you don't see him use the lightsaber or the force because he can't because he's in hiding um it's very similar to like what we see with obi-wan kenobi in the beginning of that series like he just doesn't he doesn't use the force and i think but he still wants to fight back so he's fighting back in the the way he knows best is that to be um like in saboteur become like part of a fifth column within the empire so, and he's recruiting people along. He's allied with Mammoth, but he's recruiting people to join his cell of the rebellion and operatives. He let's say his main thing. He's kind of like you know, he's like a spy master, like one of those types of characters that you see mm. in like espionage films and, and the such. Um, well, has his own cover as well as a, yeah, it's it's. We'll, we'll get to that. I love it. Coruscant, I I love weird. it. The. Yeah, so we, you're just gonna jump talk about that. The when he transforms from Luthen Rail, like the real Luthen Rail, and then he in as he's approaching back to Coruscant where he lives and is an antiques dealer, he dons a wig, and then the scene where he's like getting into character is brilliant. I think that just shows like how he becomes a different Luthen Rail than the one we we had seen up to that point in the show. But he he's such a great character, and Stellan Skarsgård just like you said, JP. He just adds so much gravitas with just his face, and like he's such a great actor as well. Like to see him and Diego Luna have have those scenes together is like that. That's great. And then when we get to him being dropped off on Aldani, which is like Episode Four, and he's mm-hmm. interacting with the Rebel. Um, leader there vel who's played by the i forget what's the actress's name uh where's vel here uh da, 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 da. Ah, faye uh marseille who was the waif on game of thrones yes so we got our 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 other got alumni oh we should talk about the, the leader of the Inter- imperial security bureau which is basically their version of like the cia or the fbi yep. or the the ss uh 
if you want to go with the Nazi parallels, it is played by uh, the the guy who played Maester Kyburn, uh, uh, the evil like wizard guy. Uh, where is he uh, here? Not uh, where where he is a phenomenal actor. Da, 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 da. No, it's I'm he's in here. On here, uh, Anton Lesser. And by the way, what a great name for an actor, uh, Major Partagas. He, yes, he's the guy who creates the monster version of the mountain in Game of Thrones, and uh, is uh, Cersei's uh, Grand Maester when she becomes queen. And uh, he's great. He's great in this as the leader of the uh, Imperial Security Bureau. Yeah. Oh, you could have put him in the original Star Wars trilogy, and it would not look out of place. No, like, that's how he looks here and it's the level of the kind of terrifying like kind of he remembers everything like one of those people with it you meet within bureaucracies who is in you will never you'll never impress them you'll never kind of hit the standards that they do if you could if you could like bring peter cushing back to like like i'm not talking about deep fake peter cushing i'm talking about like real peter cushing you you slapped him down the middle of this cast it it that's the level of quality we have with these actors that are in the show. Like they could have scenes with Peter, like with an actor as great as Peter Cushing, you know, mm-hmm. and like a British actor as great as Peter Cushing. And it would be like, Oh, he's, they're all part of the same acting troupe or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is, it's a, pheno- it's a phenomenal cast. I mean, you brought up Mon Mothma. This is uh someone else that we yes. see sort of an, like an insight into their life. Don't worry. We'll come up into the, like a lot more of the episode five, the run up to the heist and, and what that is in a, in a little bit, but yeah, we have Mon Mothma played by is uh, Genevieve. Is it Genevieve O'Reilly? This That's right. Yes. Who I'm right. I think did the voice of Mon Mothma on star Wars rebels. Is she that did. Correct? Yeah. Uh, so in, in, in rebels, when, when she does appear, when Mon Moth appears, it's like, she's finally going to, she's being, she's wanted by the empire. And so she's trying to escape to the sanctuary and being coming in openly the leader, the political leader of, of the rebel Alliance. So, so this is definitely set before, for, before rebels. Uh, that's, which is kind of the point we were, I was going to make, back when we were talking about Rebels earlier in this ep- in our talk. But Genevieve O'Reilly originally played Mon Mothma in a deleted scene from the Revenge of the Sith. That oh. So she's, I think you see her briefly in a scene with between yeah. maybe with Bail Organa and uh, played by Jamie Smith and, and Padme Amidala played by Natalie Portman, of course. She's, she's there, but she doesn't, I, I don't think she has a speaking line. But in the deleted scenes, that you see on like the Blu-ray or the DVD, she's she has speaking lines about like trying to recruit Padme to talk about like what's going on in the Senate, how we have to oppose Palpatine, Palpatine, and so from there she's just been Mon Mothma, right? Because like okay, like, and then they ever whenever they ask her, hey, do you want to come back to Star Wars? Just do a voice. She says yes. I'm sure when they approached her and said you're gonna, we want you to be like like okay have a lot of scenes and you're she's the c story right like i think that's mm. like that's fair to say her storyline is a c story because now we're, we're, we're because we're now paralleling the creation of the full-blown rebellion with captain's mm. journey to joining it eventually uh, because yeah. it's not there yet it still sells basically 
Um, but we're going to get to the point where Mon Moth is going to create the main faction of the Rebel Alliance that's mm -hmm. going to draw in all the others, like we see with Phoenix Squadron in, in Rebels, um, and how how Cassian is important to that, and how Luthen Rail is important to that because they are allies. They they are in this together, Luthen Rail and and uh, Mon Mothma, and like and it's great because she's just she plays like her role as, oh, I'm, you know, when she goes to visit within rails antiques shop as a cover to have a meeting with him, she's the level of paranoia. She says like everyone around me, I think are spies. I'm it's so dangerous for me. You get this, the tension of like what her life must be like right now as a Senator in a galactic Senate, that's going to be dissolved eventually. And it's probably ineffective because it's a galactic empire. Now it's not a Republic anymore. Um, so she's great. I'm I'm so happy that they got her back because I think she's a great link to the prequels, and she is a she is very much a Star Wars character uh, in my eyes. So I think it's great that we have this link to the prequels with with the the show. And that's really the kind of main link through her. Like most things, kind of like canon wise, because I mean I read about like like what happens in terms of uh, her character in, in Rebels as well. But it's also, you mentioned with the C storyline, it's just this other slice of life that we get to see, which is being in that kind of upper classes, like the political kind of side of it. You know, in later episodes, in the first five, we see the kind of like domestic tensions at home, which is kind of mentioned in like, it feels it's they, her husband, Perrin arranges a dinner and some of the people going are like her opponents in the set Senate who are like kind of, there's a blockade. Is it to the, is it Gorman? Gorman. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about which, the, the Gorman massacre, which is, I think something referenced in another star Wars show, whether I, th I think it might've been um, rebels is where it's mentioned. So and, and apparently that's the thing that kind of leads to like her doing a big, uh, like, oh yeah a big speech and then she leaves and that's where it's like okay there's now you're wanted by the empire you're going to be arrested and probably executed by by yeah. you know the emperor and is like a lot of people that she when she's reading the dinner list that her husband has created for this dinner that she does not want at her house it's just like oh my god these are all care these are all like well-known uh, members of you know palpatine's court like mm. the the grand vizier is I think it's the bald woman from Revenge of the Sith that's on the podium with Palpatine. That's who's invited uh, to. Oh, wow. And in the comics, she's actually revealed to be kind of a low-level, like Dark Force user that Palpatine keeps around. So, and then the the Vizier is the I forget what species is the blue guy with the 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 like the kind of he's like kind of looks like a kind of a male Twilight kind of. Thing, but yeah. he's he's the blue the blue alien in revenge of the sith so i don't think he was invited but the the pasty blonde woman uh bald woman was definitely invited and like just uh, these other names is like oh they're all part of you know palpatine's court so like he's brought he's inviting palpatine's inner circle too because that's that's the fascinating thing we have that shadow going on very yeah. much here but we don't need it's like in in a sense it's like you kind of we can we can hint to it. We can we can link to it. It'd be fascinating to see like a character like that being brought in at a later point. And there's always the possibility to do so. I think as well, tying in with like the political kind of machinations in Coruscant, it'd make it a very different show, I'd imagine, from this. But it's an area that'd be ripe for exploration. I think it's great that they introduced the idea that she has a husband 
and then yeah. later this past episode we and a daughter because it just mm. i think it adds it adds now another layer to to mon mothma's character like what she gave up to join them because obviously not so much with her husband because he's kind of a dickhead and they don't get along anymore because yeah. she's still an idealist and he's probably he's he's that guy who was a hippie in the 60s and now he yeah. became a yuppie in the in the 80s that's Perrin. That's Perrin Mothma. Yeah. He's that's what he's becoming. She's still, still keeps the ponytail, doesn't he? He keeps the uh, the top knot ponytail. Yeah. yeah. You know, I just think that's just Coruscant fashion, maybe. You know, it is Star Wars, um, but it's great. I think that that um, household, like that the mm. domestic domestic drama, was another nice touch because we don't see those things in Star Wars. Yeah. So, but even with Tim and Bix, the idea that she wasn't going to spend the night because she's she's obviously got the kind of side hustle with um uh cassian going on but at the same time we see the point where she goes around afterwards and she knocks on his door and wants to come in and you know no one's living in any kind of like fancy digs or anything else it's no. just like you know kind of tiny one bedroom flats basically and, then and people like to get drunk in star wars yeah you know they it's do great. But- and they drink calf, which is coffee, obviously. So, you know, it's uh, it, it, it feels so real. It feels like a, it feels yeah. like the real world. But it's Star Wars because, like, then you'll see, you'll see like a Tie Fighter. Oh, it's still Star Wars. Oh, there, I've seen some like criticisms that this doesn't feel like a Star Wars show, and I'm like, yes, it does. It has it has all the elements of of Star Wars in it. But like, I like the fact that it's not like Obi Wan Kenobi. Like yeah. one, like it's. It's obviously it's dealing with characters, but Rogue One is not like other Star Wars, you know, uh, yeah. stories either. It's very unique in in the sense that it's a war movie. It's an espionage heist war movie, yeah. all rolled into one, and and it has a very different feel from the sequel trilogy. It has a very different feel from like Solo, and and that's a good thing, I think. You know, so I'm glad that Andor is not carbon copy of the Mandalorian aesthetically or of Obi-Wan, but it's still Star Wars. Yeah, it very much is. Like you you're under no illusions that you're in this you're in the Star Wars universe. We're just seeing a different perspective of it. I mean, this is probably a far too highfalutin reference, but like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern is dead being these kind of side characters in Hamlet. And then you have a sort of standalone play with them in that in a sense here we're getting this with the the kind of the backdrop of these characters and i I, you know we need to see kind of more of this and if we're going to have the era of content and this much kind of content out there you can do stuff like this which still is you know is very much like kind of for me just so closely feels like it's it's tied into rogue one immediately i completely like the characters are relatable, which sometimes that can be an issue with stuff like say the book of Boba Fett, which for me felt like they were trying to recreate directly recreate what they'd created with the Mandalorian and not quite doing it. And then needing the Mandalorian character to turn up effectively in order to kind of G up the series. doesn't feel like we're going to need any of that, whether or not you need like high profile kind of characters to kind of throw in there to remind you that you're in the star Wars universe, because the thing it's building to next week when we have the heist, that's going to be like, you just get the feeling that it's going to be like an absolute thrill ride of 40 to 50 minutes, however long that it ends up lasting. And it's going to be something like 
the way that it's set up and the slow builds to it, like you mentioned about being like a HBO show, where quite often if you're in the first series of something, you're not really getting into it until about episodes five and six. You're kind of like, you understand the language, what's going on, the stakes involved, the characters. You realise that this is going to be well acted. You know, this is, and I think that's that's kind of where we are with, with this series. I mean, you know, yeah. Going on to the heist, because we haven't, yeah. like, you know, in the first three, that's the, the kind of big thing. Is, oh, I just, actually, before we get sorry. into that, I want to, Luthen Rail, I just want to talk about why I think he's a Jedi. So I think he's a Jedi for a couple of reasons. I think they give a lot of hints to this. He gives he gives Cassian a necklace made of a kyber crystal. And kyber crystals, for those people who don't know, is what powers a Jedi's lightsaber. So where would he get? And he says, this has more meaning to me, which I think, okay, he took it out of his lightsaber because he's not going to use it anymore. But he doesn't want to give up his his past as a Jedi. So he keeps it as a necklace um, Two, in the first, when we first meet him on and he's walking down the streets of Ferrix, he has like a walking stick, which telescopes in and out like into the handle. And this is visually re- reminiscent of a lightsaber. I'm thinking, okay, the, otherwise he doesn't use it. So I'm like, that's to me is deliberately telling the audience that hey, he's, he's a fucking Jedi. That's his, that's his lightsaber, basically. Mm-hmm. But it's not a lightsaber. But then the Kyber Crystal. And just a lot of things he says it just make me think he's possibly a Jedi. And listen, if it turns out he's a Jedi in hiding, I'm going to be doing a victory lap like I need oh, to yeah. do on MC later. Yep. And as you should do with this. And I think as well, the fact that he is a Jedi, the fact that you've cast Stellan Skarsgård, as this type of a character actually like mentioning before about the gravitas that's where your casting is incredibly important because you because the, the as soon as you said that to me it's like yeah can completely see that that makes sense you can see how it logically works but also in the sense of giving that character a bit of meaning and having an actor who's going to be able to kind of really bring it across and if it turns out to be what drives Cassian on is his kind of relationship with a Jedi who kind of like end up giving his life that kind of extra level of meaning. I think there's a lot to take, um, definitely take from that. Um, yeah. I mean, at the end of episode three, we have Luthan Rails and Cassian Andor leaving. Obviously we have um, the policeman's name who I've forgotten again. Um, uh, Karn, Cyril Karn. Cyril Karn. Yeah. It's that name Cyril. It's just like it's an old fashioned name. You don't see people called Cyril anymore. When was the last time you met someone called Cyril? Never. never in person, I've never met anyone named Cyril in my it life. Would, so it'd be old people who'd be like my granddad's cousin and stuff when I was like a very little kid. That's all I can ever imagine there being. But, you know, we have um, the sort of fallout for Cyril Khan where we see, you know, how is he going to work his way? <laughs> he goes back, back to live with his mom. Go back to live at his mum's. And his mom. Great. That was he's, great. Yeah. He knocks on the door. First of all, he's he he lives. He's from Coruscant. Yep. So, I think this is great because like we are contrasting Mon Mothma, who lives in the upper portion of Coruscant in the skyscrapers, which is where the rich people live, and he lives in the lower parts. And his descent in the elevator once he comes back to the uh, the spaceport, which by the way, great. It looks so much like a real airport. That spaceport that he arrives in. And he just keeps walking down. It's this his descent, right? Into yeah. like in his lot in life. And the elevator scene is just such a great metaphor for his 
his fall from grace of being like a deputy chief inspector in this, you know, in this corporation as part of the security forces to now just going back to living with his mom. But when his, when he knocks on the door, his mom looks at him and he just, the disdain he has for his mother is amazing. <laughs> Hello mother. And then she just smacks him. And then she starts hugging. Cause she's actually happy to see him again is I thought it was great because it tells you everything you need to know about their relationship in that, in that one scene. Yeah. And she plays the, what you would kind of expect of like a, you know, that, that cat, we see this in kind of like sitcomish type ways. I mean, it's nice light relief within the concept of the show of like going back to live with the mother. I'm kind of, you know, thinking of like Jerry Seinfeld's mom and the like, like the kind of overbearing mother type who, and uh, from succession as well. I can't remember the guy's name, but his mum, who ultimately ends up getting him the job with Logan Roy in succession, in like the, I think it's in the first episode. Here, we've got the fact she's trying to kind of um, manoeuvre her way. Is it through her? Is it through his uncle? Is it uncle she calls Carl? him uncle. I don't I don't know if that's actually a bullet relation. Could be yeah. like maybe when she was younger, she had some paramours that were uncles to her son I, I who knows? we'll find out we'll find out who you know they could do that kind of story normally you think i ah, wouldn't do that no they easily do that easily. yeah like i i i think we'll find out because he, he obviously has some resentment to this yeah. idea that she's gonna get him uh him a job somewhere else doing something else and but he's still obsessed with cassie and andor by the end of the fifth yeah. episode so you're wondering how he's gonna sort of work his way in it could be a fact that after the heist and the fallout of the heist he could be one of the people who said no i was on to this straight away i said about this and then through that kind well, of low do level you think corruption, he's, he's been moved down and i think do you think he's he going to be independent going after cassian or does he you think he's going to hook up with you know with deidre who's the imperial security officer that we see that's yeah that's where i think those storylines are going to end up tying in together where because she's on coruscant with like same planet like he's on Coruscant she's on Coruscant maybe this uncle character has some connection to the Imperial Security Bureau or Imperial Security in general who knows like it will find out I'm sure next week but like I I think probably that we're gonna see Deidre and uh Karn be the ones who are like joining forces to 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 get to to find Cassian and to bring him yeah into custody or kill oh, well all while trying to get around the rivalry she's got with um, Blevin. Blevins, who, yeah. Yeah, who's played by Ben Bailey Smith, who we see, I think he's like a stand-up comedian in the UK as well. So he's done like a good bit, he's done a good bit of sort of work on there. So seeing him there, he's just like, and he was great. He was like a proper imperial bastard. Yes. In the way that they should be. Like, I think it's just sort of, in that case, you know, you can imagine it's just like living out childhood fantasy at that point as well. But it is told very, very well. I mean, that's the, I'm being slightly like dismissive of those scenes. I think, again, we get to the set design, like the kind of the beautifully simple rooms when they're having the kind of standoffs there with, um, with, with their superior. Like that is the kind of scenes that like you're getting the idea of how you're moving up the imperial ladder so to speak. And I think that's going to be like a big part of this show over the next two seasons. It's going to be the parallel, you know, a lot of parallels in this show, but with Cassian moving up in terms of the Rebel Alliance and the kind of perhaps level of importance that he holds. And you're going to see these other characters kind of move up within the kind of 
um, sphere of influence within the, within the empire, which is fascinating. And, and, you know, the absolute nightmare it is to try and colonize the universe, frankly, like yeah. from a logistical and, perspective. And keep it under, uh, under control. Yeah. Right. I, I, this is a good time. I think to point out some of the, like the great little, you know, mm. subtle Easter eggs that they have throughout this show. Like, so when they're talking about, so when the Imperial Security Bureau is having their, their, I guess their quarterly meeting or, or whatever it is, um, giving the reports, he, they mentioned places like planets that are from Solo, that are from um, other like rebels or whatever, but also they, they talk about Scarif. Because it's like, why are we increasing security scare? Oh, just increase shipments. And they're talking about, basically, they're referencing the building of the Death Star yeah. uh, in here. And I thought that was great. That, that you hear scare. I'm like, oh, Rogue One, scare, main plan of, of, of Rogue One. That thing you have, like, Luthen Rail's antique shop, which is, if you are a super nerd like me, it's like, oh, my God, there's Starkiller's Sith armor <laughs> from an alternate ending of The Force Unleashed 2. Or Force Unleashed one, I forget which one. Oh, that's a new Toppin co- battle cudgel. The Toppins are like the the race that are on uh, Utapa is where where uh, Kenobi General Kenobi has his final battle with with uh, General Grievous. So and those they're the tall creatures um, with the the really pale skin and and blood mm. blood eyes. Like so, those are oh okay, that's cool. You mentioned them, and then in on Ferrix you know, like where Cassian goes to like, I guess a, a, a used car lot, used starship. Yes. Lot. <laughs> There's, they <laughs> threw in there. I couldn't believe this. They threw in there the same model of ship as the ghost from rebels oh. in the background of that's uh, in one of the scenes from there, as well as a ship called a model of a ship called the shadow caster, which is also used by a bounty hunter character in, in rebels. And I was just like, wait, is that the shadow caster? Oh my God. What's behind that looks like the ghost. Oh my God. They, they, I just love when they put little Easter eggs in there for fans. Like you don't, if you never saw anything else, yeah, it doesn't matter. It, it, it's just background. But if you're like me and you've watched everything and you, and you, and you love like, especially ships, like cool ships, then it's like, Oh my God, they've got two, two great ships in there. That, it gives, you know? it gives everything a bit of depth and a bit of meaning. Yeah as much as anything else, because it is like, it's the idea of like, they're probably world building like with this. So like those kind of times, like I say, never seen rebels. So would be, you know, I didn't, I missed them and it didn't really, it didn't affect my enjoyment of the show at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, that'll be a regular feature is, is the Easter eggs that come up. We will go into those in a, a lot more detail in weeks to come, but yes, the kind of big thing. And it was like the bulk of, this week's episode on uh, episode five uh, at time of recording was the why the reason why he's been recruited by Luthan Rail, and that is to take part in a heist where he's you know he uses the um, uh, the amulet that he he gives to him the um, the Kyber crystal the Kyber crystal the fact that he uses that as the kind of like a um, effectively like a down payment on his services. He'll get 200,000 if he does it. He's being recruited to take part in a minimalist heist. If ever there was one, there's like seven people involved in total. One of which is um, an Imperial Lieutenant. Lieutenant has, Gorn. Nice not to uh, Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. Has his, has his kind of um, 
you know, has, has his own kind of backstory there as yeah. well. You know, a thing that they all have backstories. It's great. They, it is. They all have reasons for wanting to take part in this, which is actually the thing that he admits all along is that, in fact, he doesn't have a reason for it. This is where we start to see, you know, you know, the build up for this is the fact that they've been in the woods for months on Aldani, kind of completely keeping under the radar, completely off the grid. You know, what it reminded me of those, those mm. rebels. They reminded me of the Wolverines from Red Dawn. Yeah. Yeah. I can see actually. <laughs> like also they're like, they're also using rifle blasters that look like AK 47s. And I'm just like, is this deliberate? I don't know if this is deliberate. Cause like, Oh, it did look like it though. Didn't it? Yeah. It's I was seen... like, there, I was like, are, did some of the production design says these characters are like, yeah, the, the teenagers in Red Dawn, let's give them like, blaster rifles that look like AK-47s to complete the it, It's not a bad shout for that, though. I mean, and it's so primitive, like, they've built, like, the entire heist plan is all built out of wooden sticks. So yeah. They burn it all down when they move, and there's no kind of trace of them as well. They're, like, kind of effectively hiding out as farmers. But there's a complete lack of trust for Cassian, who it changed his name to Clem for some reason. Ah, it's it's the name of his, his uh, adopted father. Ah. He's he's uh, Marva's partner when they go to Canary um, yes, to, to 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 scavenge or uh, I don't know like yeah scavenge the downed starship that that leads to you know Casa you know going to there and eventually being I don't know uh, kidnapped by Marva and Clem so he yeah. takes the name of his adopted father and we we mm-hmm. and we hear a reference to Clem being killed by the Empire being hanged in public by the Empire yeah. and this is part of what drives Cassian's hatred of the empire is like um i would imagine also like what happened on canary as a child mm-hmm. uh, and probably killed his parents this this mining accident that was caused by the empire is is a seed of that of his hatred for the empire but also like what happens to his adoptive father clem who you know based on his relationship with marva whom he loves mm. i would assume he also loved clem as a, as, a, as his father so the fact that he was killed by the by the empire publicly is something that we'll explore later on, but that's why he takes on the name Clem. Is like a, it's a nod to his his adoptive father. Not a reference to Clem Fandango from Toast of London, then. In, in, uh, well, you never know, JP. It could be that as well. <laughs> Matt Berry, um, on there, who did actually a voice, didn't he, in um, Book of Boba Fett? I think Matt Berry. Um, no, he wasn't. He, he wasn't Book of Boba. Fett. Yeah, was it Book of Boba? Anyway, going Barry. back. No, he Back-back. wasn't from Obi Wan Kenobi. He does a voice of one of the um, aliens. It's one of the robots. Okay. It is definitely one of the robots on there. But we hear another backstory from um, one of the other characters there, Skeen as well, you know, who is probably of the people that he meets, like effectively you've got like there's, there's five other people. Luthan Rails effectively forces um, him onto Vel. And Vel is effectively heading up these uh, uh, this team, even though she's not taking part in. It didn't feel like she's she's taking part in some. She other can't part. because, like you know, the the Empire doesn't really have it's sexist. It's uh, the patriarchy. Yeah, she doesn't. The Empire really doesn't have like female mm. female personnel in, in the in the military. Yeah, it, uh, it really it really isn't. It's it, and you get that as well. But it's done in in a nice way that isn't. It's a nice way. It's done in a way that isn't like kind of heavy-handed. 
as well, like you mentioned earlier on with the kind of allegories to Black Lives Matter as well and police brutality. Like I think as well, like the kind of gender dynamics because Vel's gay as well. And it isn't something like, again, not the kind of thing that's ever kind of um, ever displayed really. Well, not, not overtly because one of the other, overtly. one of the not other really. rebels is, is her partner, Cinta. Yes. And they, and I think it's Skeen who basically says, yeah, because Cassian, she tends to Cassian's uh, blaster wound on his arm. Yep. And you can tell, like, you know, Cassian's kind of attracted to her. But then I think Skeen tells her she shares her blanket with someone else and it's, yeah. it's with Bell. Okay. Yeah. So, because they're sitting together when they're having dinner as well. So it's okay. There we go. What do you think of the team that he's kind of, um, the I think they're all, I think it's fascinating. Like skiing gives his backstory and like we get the first hints like, oh, they have prison tattoos in Star Wars too because he's yeah. showing his, his prison tattoos. And this is where the title of the, the episode comes, comes across that the axe forgets mm. and you, 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 you understand what that means because skiing tells a, tells a parable of like the axe forgets, but the tree remembers the axe is the empire in this case. And the tree is all the victims of people who've lost loved ones to the empire through their, you know, they're, they're just wanting disregard for human life mm. in, in the face of what they perceive as progress. Um, so that's a, I think that's again, a level of writing. That's, I think just great that mm. you, you create this, this phrase that you take the title of the episode from, and it means so much because it's the theme of the, of the whole episode. Um, but Nemec, the young boy who's got a mm. manifesto, he's so fascinating. I, I, I'm afraid he's going to probably die next episode. Oh, he is. He's not. <laughs> but I want to hear his manifesto because he, he's in the, he's part of this team because he truly believes in like the, the like being anti uh, em empire. He's against yeah. empire, but he believes so much in the empire, in the, in the rebellion to, 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 to get rid of the empire that, you know, he's very reminiscent of more the, the Saw Gerrera types of of who are who are associated with the rebels, but but who we're going to see later on in the series because mm -hmm. he's been in the trailers. So I'm not spoiling anything. He's been in the trailers. That Saw Gerrera, played by Force Whitaker, will show up again, and and with him comes his group of rebels called the Partisans. And we get it. We get we get uh, a reference to the Partisan Front in, yeah. in the conversation between uh, Cassian and Luthen, um, where he says, "Oh, you're a rebellion separatist, whatever you want to." partisan front whatever everyone calls them tim is all the same but they're very different the partisans the are, people's front here is <laughs> well, the, the partisans are basically terrorists because they don't care about yeah. hurting civilians or uh, using torture or you know t you know like being op open openly assassinating uh imperial dignitaries whatever mm. um they and then with with you know for um saw Guerrera, you, you're probably gonna get one of my other favorite Visual characters in Star Wars is Benthic, his the 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 gas mask wearing alien from um, uh, Rogue One, and mm. from um, we do uh, where oh, and they're in there. That character is also in Solo as part of the the the, the Skyriders of uh, the Enthus of Enthus Nest, you know. So like oh, it's Benthic. Oh, that's really cool. Um, but yeah, Nemec is really interesting. Uh, we don't really have Cinta's backstory. We don't have um, one of the other characters who um, 
Tarman, who's the um the the, the African American character, not African American. I think he's African actually, big or mm. African British. Um, he's he's he. We don't get really his backstory, but we get a lot of his character through his actions, how he interacts with with Cassian, and he's yeah. kind of like the, the 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 like training everyone how okay, we're gonna be we're gonna infiltrate by pretending we're Imperial soldiers. This is how we have to act. And then you have Lieutenant Gorn, who's like the the the, you know, the dissident from the Empire because mm-hmm. he the woman he loved was probably killed by the Empire, and he mm-hmm. has a fondness for Aldani that he that he laments throughout the episode when interacting with other Imperials about mm-hmm. like you know this planet has changed; it used to be like this, but now it's like this, and he doesn't like it, so that's why he's helping them, um, helping Vel and her team. But I I, I like that they're very different and they comes together like very much like a classic heist movie where you said getting the setup. Yeah. I, this is how it feels like. I mean, I know next week, it, it, I don't want it to feel like Ocean's Eleven, but it's hard not to kind of get an, a, an idea of like a kind of mishmash crew doing like a, a high stakes, high money robbery. Because w- what they're actually stealing is the payroll, which is, would make complete sense that the order for the rebel alliance to kick on they would need to be well funded yes so like it kind of makes like that's why i like the idea of the heist and it being halfway into the show like it bet damn well be the heist next week but yeah you you mentioned there like you know with um with uh the character you mentioned before in terms of like we know then that he was part of the army for this and, and we, we're seeing these stories and it is what Val says to him is like everyone has a story and everyone has a reason to be here just that kind of common purpose that they have but um it was it was also the fact as well that Lieutenant Gorn has to deal with the fact that his men want to see so they're doing the, the highest effectively has to happen because there's an event once every every three years, three years. Um, where effectively he's like Aurora's, um, what's the name of it? Aurora Borealis. Aurora Borealis. The the, the Eye of Aldani, as they call it. The Eye it's, of Aldani yeah. that we, we're getting here for that. And they're going to go in under the kind of cloud of that because it effectively looks like it attracts people like Stonehenge would do or any other kind of like kind of classical kind of monument like that. So they're going to go in under the, under the cover that to, to perform this heist. But a lot of the men who work, uh, in Aldani, a lot of the 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 kind of imperial troops who are very low level, again, you know, seeing them, but they want to see it because there's nothing else to do on this planet. It's like yeah. a horrible assignment to get sent away for. It's clearly not something that any of them kind of enjoy. But, like, at the same time, can they at least see this? Which means that it's going to be very much like undermanned. Um, yeah. In terms of like the interior, which is obviously all part of the plan, as well. But um, I, I love that sense of it. Even the idea, even the idea that we don't need to give, think about what the morale of the guys who work at this base that's going to be demolished anyway, because they're having the debate about about about, it, and all the things are going to be changing. Um, but they're having this kind of debate. You're thinking about morale. Oh, it's boring being in this room, being sat in front of computers. So I'm going to come out and just have a view. It looked like he was having a cigarette, frankly. Yeah. Like that. It was Maybe like, a death stick. Yeah, a death stick. Well, he wouldn't be that far removed from it. Um, but yeah, that kind of stuff was like, I found those touches like really, really lovely. And it's the thing that they've done so well 
I mean, yeah, this slow, serious version of Star Wars, I can complete. I've got completely on board with. Probably we're we're, so we're gonna get you know, Vault of the Wall, you know, Mandalorian season three, uh, yeah. early, sometime next year. It's fine. We can do slow burn Star Wars that just fills out things. Things that that's high, you know, high level of writing and acting yeah. and, and directing. Um, you know that that that's right. And like the first three, it's interesting. The first three episodes. Uh, was its own story arc is directed by well-known British actor, a uh, director, uh, Toby Haynes. Mm. And then this, the last three, like yeah, last week's, this week's and episode six will be directed by the same director by the name of Susanna White. who's also mm-hmm. a well-known British, um, British actor, a uh, director, or he keeps saying actor, British director. And then Probably Toby, Haynes is, no, and then Toby Haynes is coming back for mm-hmm. the next three. And then the last two are going to be directed by a different director by the name of Benjamin uh, Karen, who is also British. Uh, he's done a lot of work with uh, uh, Kenneth Branagh. Uh, mm-hmm. He's done. He's worked on The Crown. So this, is like, from a production point, like you have Toby Haynes, um, you have um, Susanna White, you have uh, Ben Karen. Because it's shot in England, they they got a lot of British actors, uh, directors. Ha! Huh? Mixing up uh, a lot of British directors to work on this, which I think adds to the quality. And like these are all veteran, you know, um, BBC or high high end TV uh, directors working on this. And also, like um, the episodes are written by uh, primarily by um, Tony Gilroy, mm. and who's the showrunner, but also his brother Dan Gilroy, who's a, a well known. Um, uh, filmmaker in his own right. He he made that Jake Gyllenhaal movie Nightcrawler about yes. uh, a crime photographer in in LA, Phenomenal. and and he he made um, Velvet Buzzsaw as well, which is like this really interesting. Um, it's, which has Jake Gyllenhaal as well, but interesting like horror movie kind of black comedy horror movie as well. So you know he's the brother of Dan Gilroy of, of Tony Gilroy, and the uh, and one of the editors is John Gilroy. So usually where one Gilroy brother goes, the others follow. Jobs for the Tony. boys, literally, like his, his little brothers. In yeah, they 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 just work on a lot of things that Tony Gilroy does. Like Dan Gilroy was involved with The Born Legacy. John Gilroy edited The Born Legacy. And so I think John Gilroy basically edits everything that Tony Gilroy is involved in, maybe. So, so there it you seems, go. Yeah. It just feels like well, they can probably just bollock each other at this stage of the relationship. They'll, yeah. They're, they're doing fine for themselves. Just to mention about Toby Haynes, just looking through his CV, like you mentioned about that kind of TV director in the UK. He is, he's directed episodes of Doctor Who, then on to Sherlock, Black Mirror. He did the Brexit Civil, uh, the Uncivil War, which was for HBO and Channel 4. And that was with um, Benedict Cumberbatch as the architect of Brexit, Dominic Cummings, which was a horrible yet fascinating watch. So it's someone who understands what the visual tone of a series kind of should be. And I think that's the thing of like the greatest achievement of this is creating a tone that feels original to enough of the stuff that we're seeing. Like it's very, how hard is it to produce something that feels new within the Star Wars canon? And to do that is a, like I, I think so far is a hell of achievement. The show could go to hell in a handcart from the, for the next six episodes in theory, but I don't see that event happening. Um, no, I, yeah, I think your, we're in good hands. Your overall thoughts? Um, 
yeah, I, I'm excited for what we're what we're going to be getting mm. from this point on. And, and I'm excited to talk to you about it, like it. I think I think we're going to get a space battle. You get it. Yeah. I, oh, hey, I need a fucking space battle, especially like the, the clips I've seen of, you know, Luthen's ship doing some crazy ass shit in the space battle. Like, oh, yeah, bring it on. I want to see this ship like go through its paces. Um, and yeah, like we're going to get Saw Gerrera coming back. We're going to get yeah. I think we're I think we're probably going to get a cameo from Jimmy Smith's as Bail Organa. That's yeah. my guess. I think we'll get the reveal of Luthen's past, probably being a Jedi, you know, um, I'm just saying, I think I want to see where this goes. And then they have already stated like the season two mm -hmm. will be the last season because it's going to lead directly into the events of Rogue One. Yeah. The last episode will be like just before Rogue One begins. Um, we're going to see like it's going to be divided into like um, years. So this is covers like the first year of mm -hmm. uh, of the five year gap between, you know, Cassie and Cassian story and joining in Rogue One. So season two is going to cover two, three, and uh, no, uh, two, three, four, and five, some like, right? So like it's going to lead into it, but like they're going to break it into story arcs. Like one story yeah. arc is going to be one year, second year, third year, fourth year. And then I think that's great. And it keeps it tight. And I think they probably have a lot of it already mapped out and they're just going to flesh it out in the writing process. I think so. I think they've got this down. This looks like a production. It's like a well-oiled machine. Like, yeah, I, mean, a... I I think they've learned from the mistakes of say like Book of Boba Fett and maybe and because now like they don't have like you know with book you know Obi Wan Kenobi and Book of Boba Fett you had to deal with COVID. Yeah, uh, you know, like really affecting productions. Those were like during the pandemic, like the height of the pandemic and lockdowns. Um, and del have, having delays, production delays, and things like that. Here, you people, the, the world of filmmaking, especially, has pretty much settled into like the the you know, okay, this is this is reality now. This is how we deal with COVID. On if it break, if there's a breakout, and like these are the programs to prevent that from happening. Mm -hmm. um, you know, anti-vaxxers uh, notwithstanding, uh, <laughs> that exist in the in the world of filmmaking. Um, but yeah, and. I I'm excited and I I like I can't you know like the best thing about any kind of television shows like you want to see what happens next week yeah. and I want to see what and from the beginning of the series I want to see what happens next episode so that's the highest compliment I can pay for someone who 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 can't be ours sometimes just to watch wrestling weekly wrestling anymore mm -hmm. like hey I want to see what happens on Andor I want to see what happens on you know, House of the Dragon uh, She Hulk. And and whatever else comes out that that actually you know captures my imagination. I could see Last of Us throwing that in. Oh yeah, well it's got will... Pedro. You yeah. know, I, I was thinking about this. You know how like some of the most interesting um, uh, characters in in uh, modern Star Star Wars are are portrayed by uh, Latino actors. So you have yeah. Pedro Pascal as Din Djarin, the Mandalorian. You have uh, Oscar, um, Oscar Isaac as as um Poe Dameron in the sequel trilogy now we have you know Diego Luna as Cassian Andor here who's and it's like you know like if you want a really great lead character or hero character just get a Latin American Latino actor Latin American yeah. actor to, to to play him so oh yeah they've succeeded he's come a long way since um Itu Mama Tabien like which I remember seeing which I think was also phenomenal uh, I have to see that still. I haven't. I've not seen that one. So. Oh, it was 
great. I used to teach about Mexican new wave stuff. So I love that. I love the Morris Peros as well. Like it was like that kind of inner ratu, um, kind of going into, and don't get me wrong. He's a director who kind of has his ups and downs as well. And, um, Alfonso Cuaron, right? That's Alfonso, Alfonso Cuaron as yeah. well. Well, I mean, yeah. Children Men is brilliant. So, oh, it's a, that is, that is also a film like in my day job as teacher that I've, I've used to teach students. Like it's just been a film. Okay. I'm going to put this on for you and we're going to talk about it. Like we're going to do some little bit looking into it. And each and every time that film just completely succeeds. Like people are just from the, from the very start, from the moment of the concept, they're completely sold on it. So yeah, very like the, the legacy of the world on it is we're seeing it here with Diego Luna. Um, although don't watch Criminal with him and John C. Riley, which is a remake of a great Argentinian film called Nine Queen Nine Queens, which is like a con man con trick type of. Um, okay, so you're saying don't see that one? Don't see that. That was okay. when he got it. Got, got like a Hollywood break, and they like sort of did a remake of that. It's not that it's terrible. It's just watch the original because the original yeah. makes sense within the context of it. But anyway. I, 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 I gotta start watching uh, Narcos Mexico. Yeah. I mean, I'd say he's he's for Pedro Pascal, like he's like you know when he's um he's in the earlier series, he's not in he's not in Mexico, is he? Who Pedro Pascal? No, he is. No, that's in uh, Colombia. That's Colombia, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, this one. Michael Pena, I know, in the the sort of first series as the undercover cop, isn't he? Yeah, of, of Narcos Mexico. Narcos Mexico. Yeah, and Diego Luna is like the main drug oh, like, Yes. So I want to see that because I want, oh, Diego Luna is going to be the bad guy, essentially. So, like, let's go see that. Let's, uh, so I'm going to be, maybe fire that up. Like, the problem with, like, also something like like something that is touted as being, like, like good. A lot of people do say Narcos Mexico is very good, along mm-hmm. with, like, original Narcos, um, is that I might start binging it. And I'm like, oh, I got to I've gotta do something else, too, but I can't <laughs> stop watching the show. That's the problem with binging is, like, you, you got to take a break sometimes, but sometimes it's hard oh, just yeah. to take a break. So, so anyway, having, ju- having just working my way towards the very end of a breaking bad, better call Saul binging 12 series of it, partly because my son was doing it. And then my girlfriend hadn't seen better call Saul. So it seemed like an easy transition right. from one into the other. I never so, got into breaking bad. So like, I I'd like to, but I'm also afraid now of getting into I, it. I'm kind of with you. Breaking bad was never it was, I never thought it was as good as I was being consistently told that it was. It just didn't seem to hit those heights. I've got more of an appreciation of it. And Better Call Saul, in some ways, like, it's going to sound like very controversial, in some ways to me ends up feeling superior. Like, okay. just because of some of the things that happened. But that's partly as a result of characters that are developed in Breaking Bad. So, but yeah. Um, I don't think we're going to, they're going to be doing any, any series of that that we could at some point recap. But, um, but no, have you got, um, I should mention as well before, is there any other points you'd like to raise about these first five episodes? Because if you haven't seen them, no, watch them. they're I, I, brilliant. Go, go. If, if, you're just, if you're somehow listening to this without actually having yeah. watched any of these episodes, like just fucking stop doing whatever you're doing and just yeah. fire up the, the Disney Plus or, you know, the, or some hooky way of watching this and then just, Why just watch these things. Spoilers. Like it's mad. Like, it's great. Like, like yeah, we it. just, we just ruined everything for you. There's no surprises yeah. anymore for this for for you but um no again like i'm excited to to see where the rest of the series goes and like to to talk about it with you have oh i'm definitely excited for that yeah we're going to be um working our schedule i think we it, it hopefully would end up being kind of we'll 
we'll work around. I know that WH is a busy work schedule as, we, as the pair of us do, but we'll work out a time yeah. to get back into it next. Certainly with next week, definitely with that, that heist episode, we need to be d- dedicating, it feels like, the full a full hour to that one as well. Is there any recommended watching? I know that... Um, uh, well, I mean, it goes without saying Rogue One. Rogue, Rogue One has one. to be the thing you have to watch. If you haven't seen it in a while, which I haven't, I'm going to go watch it again sometime this week. Yeah. Um, but if you've never seen Rogue One, uh, I'm, I was thinking about this, JP. Like, you know, it's, it is probably, like, we'll say in the Disney era of Star Wars, it's probably, to me, the best film of, of the, the Disney yeah. era. Uh, it's, that's number one. Last Jedi is number two, because I, I think The Last Jedi is absolutely mm-hmm. brilliant. Um, but yeah, and then I, I would say, you know, The Force Awakens and Solo are, are the best, like, um, movies. Of the, I'm not going to include TV series because those are different animals. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I th- I think Rogue One is the best. It yeah. it feels like Star Wars. That's my thing. Is that when you get to the the Battle of Scarif, it feels so much like Star Wars. It's not even funny. Like I remember seeing that in theaters in Japan, and I was just like gripping my armrest, like, oh my god, this is like I'm being I'm like five years old again, yeah. watching the the trench run of star Wars with this battle and just like the ground battle. And it feels like it incorporating elements of Pacific war movies and Vietnam war movies. And plus the dog fighting in space is like original star Wars, which is like world war two dog aerial dog fighting movies. And it's just it, it, star Wars is best when it, when it, when it references other um, films or TV shows in this case mm-hmm. now. Um, and I think with Andor. You, you're getting that with like the I think the 80s and and 70s and 80s science fiction aesthetics that are peppered yeah. throughout this this film. Like you have silence things like Logan's Run, Silent Running, um, all these things that you know. Actually, I'm watching the Light and Magic um, series on Disney Plus about the history of the of ILM, mm. and a lot of these guys who part of the original generation of Industrial Light and Magic were working on science fiction films throughout um throughout the 70s and later in the 80s um especially like some of them worked for douglas turnbull who was the, the mm. visual effects designer of 2001 space odyssey and then would work directed, on other directed yeah. silent runnings didn't he silent running turnbull i think so um but it has that feel right like of the yeah. starkness there's a starkness of 70s late 70s sci-fi that's that's moving away from the cheesiness of the 60s right yeah. And then you're getting to like this kind of hyper starkness to reflect the kind of mood in America and 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 other parts of the world at the time. And then 80s is just neon, right? And then yeah. it's it's bright and it's neon, it's glorious. I love 80s sci-fi. So to see like these two kinds of aesthetics merge into one on mm. the show is is fantastic, but also be modern and be Star Wars. It's it's great. Yes, yeah, a hell of a balance in that, but they managed to pull it off as well. I mean I'll hopefully end up watching Rebels, but uh, I think you should make that your pr- a project. I, I think with I think like so. uh, the the younger children in your life now, like yeah, have they, have they watched Rebels? I don't think they have. They have seen Clone Wars, okay. which is like oh good because they'll put on random episodes of Clone Wars, and I'll happily sit down and watch, regardless wherever they are, and I sit there with a big smile Ooh, on my face. And have your have your sons watched uh, Rebels? Yes, they okay. have. But right, I so, need to also get 
like with them as well are also willing. I'll be talking about this with my elder. I'm on the on, I'm going to football with him. So I'm going to be t- I'm, I'm going to going to quiz him a bit on this. Just he... just do episode a week. Don't binge it. Mm. Just do an episode a week. Okay. You 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 will not regret the experience of watching Rebels because it's that good. By the time you get to season 2, by the time you get yeah. to the end of season 2, you're going to be like, why did I deny myself this long? Yeah. That the how great this the writing the the voice acting and the animation is on the show and then season three and four are just like tug at your heartstrings like i'm getting kind of emotional thinking about some of the some of the story arcs in in, i need uh, to get in on this yeah it's so good it it is like and and i think it's the measuring stick by which you should judge all disney era star wars is by rebels um because it's that good and it's what you know, Kenobi should have been like is more like Rebels. Mm. Uh, it's what it's what the, pre- the sequel trilogy should have been like. It should have been like Rebels. Yeah. This is what I say. Like Dave Filoni should have been the gatekeeper of of Star Wars production, yeah, post Disney. Like they should have just put him in charge of everything. Like, hey, that's not to take away anything from say John Favreau or some of the other people that are involved there. But like, also like some of the best people who work at Disney on the Star Wars Lucasfilm are from rebels that carry hard and carry back come from come from um rebels as well working on that with with dave filoni and i think they're more prominent members of like the overall structure over at lucasfilm mm-hmm. now so seriously start watching it the, especially if the younger kids in your life have not watched it yet right. i think they will love it like get through like season one's good but it's when you get to season two that it's like it takes off like to a okay. different level yeah i can do that that sounds uh, episode a week, mate. So, where can the good listeners find you? Because you've done a load of audio, other yeah, I've been in our other side busy, yeah. gig of wrestling, yeah. So, over at Post Wrestling, uh, I just did um, uh, an episode of The Long and Winding Road Road with your friend here yeah. at Grapple. Grapple Gareth appeared on The Long and Winding Road Road. We, we talked about the British Bulldogs versus the Minecraft Brothers. Have you, have you, have you watched that yet? I haven't before I'm listening to the episode. I listened to the intro of just you guys talking, and then I was like, "No, I need to watch the match." On the well, episode. did you? You have to see the the vests that the British Bulldogs wear, and and the the amazing sweaters that the Malenko brothers wear wow. <laughs> as their as their entrance gears. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> uh, but I had a fun time. I, I I suggest if you can watch the the YouTube video because I, I do think I made uh, Gareth laugh quite a few times yeah. on, on that episode but um that was fun to record i think it's a good lesson um i i did uh post perez with john pollock recently but then we did an ep- a bonus episode mm. talking about the, the 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 career and life of antonio noki because he just passed away and then of course every week i've, I've recently I've been doing mcu later with rich fan from filling in for way and uh we we're talking about she hulk which uh, by the way i i love she hulk i think i didn't know i was gonna like it this much but i yeah. think it's fucking great and i and i think this week's episode is gonna be finally matt murdoch daredevil into the proper mcu so i'm it's because i didn't start off with she hulk i'm gonna be binging them all that's the next thing so that's gonna be going on is just to do a quick binge of it as well because as you mentioned like i've what my my stepkids are like they're massively like wanting to watch it and it was like no no we're gonna go and we're just gonna be able to watch all these together it um, is oddly enough i think a little bit more adult than because, oh okay because it's a comedy i think it's a yeah. little bit more adult than than normal mcu fair so i don't know you might want to you know like with like you know jen has a has uh a sex life 
you know, okay. in there. So it, I have to play about... a delicate balancing act yeah. with the ages of there being five and eight as well. But I know it's a big, it's the fan household, which is no greater, um, I, I, I think, uh, no greater achievement than the fan household are all big, big fans of, uh, of yes. She-Hulk, aren't they? So, like, and he's a man of immaculate taste as an Arsenal fan. As well, this is true. Which, you, yeah. him, uh, Shitaro Ashino, it's, yeah. It's, it's, well, I, things are picking like, up I'm for him you, at the minute, it, rather like Arsenal. Are. Listen, I'm telling you, if I if I get into footy, Arsenal will be will be yes. my team because well, like all these people I respect are Arsenal fans. So what can I do except becoming? I'm not going to be. What, what's the team Benno supports? Everton. Don't. I'm not joining. I'm not no. becoming a fan of them. Don't so. do Everton. You could do Liverpool, which is Gareth's team and Matty's team. Like they, they're big, they're big Liverpool fans, but it'd be, um, it'd be a good time to jump in on Arsenal because they're actually doing all right. He says now, probably jinxing them. So no, it's okay. I'm off to it, see them tomorrow night, so well, that'll be an interesting experience. As a, as a, I'll have to every, get the jersey if I ever come visit yeah, you. Yeah, we'll have to go I'll, to the. I'll get you one, mate. Got a, I've got a, a whole heap of them here as well. But um, yeah, you could, you can find me obviously on Grapple and Grapple Patreon. Um, we recently did a deep dive into uh, one of the worst DVDs that's ever been produced in the history of wrestling. I know you're well aware of its history. Um, one uh, DVD they produced for, uh, for WCW in their time, it would, you know, obviously assume they were owned by Time Warner at the time, how they couldn't do it. There's no excuse. It's unforgivable. It was released only t- in Japan. Uh, WCW Millionaire's, uh, millionaires club versus new blood but that's a lie it's not even really about that feud at all it's four months in the time of wcw 2000 terribly edited all booked by vince russo it's it, it's one of the hardest watches like i would say and this yeah. is a dark reference it's very much the serbian film of like wow. wrestling DVDs. Easy. It's a hard watch. And you say you've watched it just to say you've done it and got through it. Like you mentioned about not being able to sit through, like it's not boring. Like the Inoki, um, death, Ali, Island like, death match. It's not, but like the Island death match, which Ben, I was trying to watch some of, and he just said was unlike kind of watchable. No, it's for, terrible. It's just boring as shit. It you know? yeah. is like, it's just the, the idea is sounds cool, but yeah. the execution is, it's not, it's a, just watch, you know, like between Anoki and Masa Sayuda, just watch one of their wrestling. Watch, yeah. watch the one where they handcuff each other, where they're handcuffed to each other and Noki just punches him to death. Okay. Just watch that Jesus. one. That's, yeah, a one. That's, a good, that's a good, that's an entertaining one, but yeah, like, uh, just before we go, like uh, yeah. millionaire, club versus i listen i i lived through that okay (laughs) i lived through that because fucking sin was held at the air canada center here in toronto and i went to that pay-per-view that was my first and only wcw pay-per-view was was wcw sin at the toronto in toronto um that's and yeah that's that's that that was a that was a good pay-per-view actually i think that had the the title not the title tournament i think that had like that sounds like WCW at that point in time. Yeah, I think Bret Bret Hart was in it. I can't remember it, but like that was there. But like I I watched that shit every week at O'Grady's yeah. back in the day when we would go to go watch O'Grady's on a at the pub, you know, like with Pollock and people from the wall. Go and watch like the pay per views. That's right. So I don't need to ever see that shit again. To be honest with no. you. But I'll, gl- I'll gladly listen to the uh, the, the show, and because <laughs> yeah. uh, I am a supporter of the Grapple Patreon, you, I I am now an annual member. An annual member, 
Thank you, WH. You know why? Just because it didn't make any financial sense to do monthly anymore. I was just like, oh, you save 16% annual and I don't have to think about it anymore. Like just once a year, think about paying. Oh, fuck, I did it. So fuck it. Do there it. Yeah. Well, I think with right. the exchange rate, it was it was actually pretty good between Canada. I was going to say, if there's ever a time for if you're not in the UK to buy things from Britain, now is it? It's as cheap as chips, like because uh, the, the pound hurtling down today, as well as our new prime minister, the shit show that is Liz Truss, um, had, gave a talk and the pound started going down again. There you go. Thought, yeah, that's Lovely. that's where we are with that. But, uh, and, and hey, listen, you can always move to Canada if if you want. So it I'll, seems I'll more and more appealing by the minute, mate. More and more appealing by the minute. You can stick me in Calgary, stick me in Manitoba. I'll go out to Saskatchewan, which I know is where. That's where Brock Lesnar lives. Oh, yeah, he lives there, isn't it? And then, it, but isn't that where one of the non TV title changes happened between? Oh, Flair Bret Hart and Flair. Yeah, Bret that's Hart where Flair. Flair Flair to Brett happened in Saskatchewan. That's no. right. Yeah, no, you just come. You don't have to live in Toronto proper. Just come to Ontario. There's like you know places outside of Toronto that are more affordable than others, oh. but wouldn't be too far for uh, us to hang out. You know what I'm saying? You're, so. you're you're selling me on it. But yes, that's it. So we'll we'll be back next week with episode six, which I don't know if it's going to be called the heist. It kind of should be. It fits in perfectly. But um, until then, bye there. Bye there. <laughs>